It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Man, I'm, so, I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Oh, my mama. Oh, my mama made it, man. Anything's possible. Rainy days. Jump shot, fade away. This the best Celtics podcast day to day. I get excited about it every night about it. A real C's fan wouldn't want to live their life without it. Banner 18 in the making, we gotta make it. Best squad in the East and still we can't get complacent. Most winning franchise, so the history's ancient. You can tell the mother guys are going plan a vacation. Yeah, Corrales, Packard, and J. King Locked on, trying to get the 18th ring The most in-depth coverage that you ever gonna hear Well-respected in a city like Russell's career It's raining Jays Millie's Hey there, welcome back to the Locked On Something Podcast I want to thank you all for making us part of your daily grind We're the Rain Jays, John Corrales Joined by Samuel Jamison Packard III for this one Coming up on today's show, we will go over the two games that happened over the weekend. The Atlanta Hawks in segment two. We'll start with the Dallas Mavericks loss in segment one. Segment three will be dedicated to the Monday night game against the New Orleans Pelicans. And for that, I will bring in my Lockdown NBA host, co-host, Jake Madison from Lockdown Pelicans. So, Sam, let's start with this Dallas game. Uh, Very disappointing game. Rehash that little uh, intro. A 113-104 loss to the Mavericks. Just uh, once again, random guy that beat the the Celtics to death. This time it was JJ Barea off the bench, 20 points on nine of 16 shooting. It just daggers and eight assists on top of it. Daggers all around for JJ Barea and the Celtics, who were disappointing throughout this whole thing, just couldn't overcome JJ freaking Barea. Yeah, it's just another guard being able to do whatever he wants off the dribble, off the pick and roll, and just knock down shots. And it was, it was, it was, he had some threes, he had some pull ups, he had some, uh, some long twos, but he was also, in some occasions, able to just get to the rim and drive right past Terry Rozier, uh, which who did not have his, his best game. And immediately, uh, the scapegoat of Celtics Twitter went from Jalen Brown to Terry Rozier, but, I don't know. It's just, it's incredibly frustrating. You see the numbers and you say, oh, this should be the league's best defense, but that shouldn't happen with, uh, you just shouldn't have one guy be able to just go off. And so when it's Kemba Walker, it's more acceptable because he had scored 60 points earlier in the week. When it's Jamal Murray, you knew that kind of shooting talent was there. When it's JJ Barea, it's downright infuriating. It's, and there, he just should not be scoring 20 points in a game. Now I like, Actually, I thought the Celtics, they took the first punch um, from the Mavericks well. The Mavericks just didn't miss a three-point shot. It felt like the first, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes of that yeah, basketball game. and first quarter. And pretty much, I thought the Celtics actually did a good job of coming back. And then it just got to the fourth quarter. And I think the thing that I found most problematic was, like, 50-50 balls. The, like, the Mavericks felt like they got every single one of them, and the Celtics got nothing. So... There's just nothing the Celtics did to kind of turn the momentum in their direction. And they just, in, in those moments, instead of coming up big this season, the Celtics have just kind of floundered. And, and anytime there's some sort of adversity late, um, other than the Toronto Raptors game where Kyrie was Kyrie, we haven't seen them like overcome any in-game adversity. And 
tonight the, against the Mavericks, it was just like, all right, we're going to give up every 50-50 ball, and then we're just going to let J.J. Barea run wild on us. Yeah, after the game, Marcus Smart said uh, that there's no fear. They don't instill fear in other teams, and, and I think that's a very telling quote because there, I wrote this on RedsArmy.com on the Sunday morning dump, so if you go to RedsArmy.com, check that out. You'll get my extended thoughts on this, but basically – I say that there's two things that teams fear. One is if you're facing a, t- a team so talented, like the Golden State Warriors, that you're just afraid that those guys are going to run wild on you. You walk in and you're facing the absolute juggernaut. And the other thing that teams fear is a team that will just fight you the whole way, that is intense, that is, you know, uh, I don't know, what other, other, whatever other adjectives you want to throw in there. But that scrappy, hard-fighting team that you know you're going to have to play for 48 minutes. And, and really during the NBA uh, regular season, guys don't like playing 48 minutes of basketball. They like to coast. It's a long season. Facing a team that need that does the dirty work, that does go for those loose balls, that's that's the, the fear that Marcus Smart's talking about. My fear is that these Celtics think that they're closer to the Warriors than the other thing. And that they're going out there thinking that they're Warriors light. And part of that is, I'll say, our fault in general, not just us, but all of us in the media who bestowed upon them the Warriors of the East type of thing. And I'm certainly guilty of that. I'm not. I had uh, reasonable expectations the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't pick them to win 69 games. (laughs) (laughs) Still in play, by the way. Still technically possible. But. I'm afraid that they're, they still think that they're going to be closer to that than the team that needs to do all of the dirty work. And when Brad Stevens called out their toughness, that's the team that he wants to get. He wants to get the team that does the, the shit that gets you that floor burn that has, you have to fight through picks. You have to play hard and rebound and get those loose balls and, and do all of that, the, the hard things that it takes to win. And, I'm mostly afraid that the Celtics are just not mentally at least available to the idea. Not even that they're not capable. They're just not even thinking about that. Their goal right now is just be as uh, try to get to that Warriors level. And part of why I think that, not just the 50-50 balls, part of one of the J.J. Barea drives was a complete miscommunication. That Horford and Rozier late in the game – uh, I want to say it was at the end of the third quarter that yeah. it was the the drive where Terry Rozier is clearly like forcing Berea to the sideline. He's icing the pick and roll. Horford is coming up to blitz it up the lane, and then Berea goes to the right. You know, or, or I'm saying force him to the right side of the floor. I'm sorry, but anyway, he drives down to the right, and he goes right past Rozier, right past Horford, layup. That's a complete and utter defensive breakdown. Not that it's just, oh, he didn't slide or anything like that. It's the Celtics just didn't talk. They didn't know what they were doing. And that's the type of stuff that pisses me off and pisses fans off. That the Celtics go out there with, these are two guys who've played together for a long time. They were both on the team for the entire playoff stretch. Those two guys have chemistry. Even if you say everybody else doesn't right now and you're still trying to work it in those two guys should have chemistry and 
somehow they had a massive defensive breakdown at a critical time, and that's happening over and over and over again. And that's why two things. That's why it's so frustrating and also why I think it can be turned around because that's a mental mistake. It's not a physical mistake. Yeah, the thing that's confusing about this team is like, why do they lack the kind of mental toughness and why do they continue to make those mistakes? So that was a huge one. Um, but I'm just remembering back to the next game, Mad Brad came out and called a timeout. And then the next two plays, the Celtics had just pure mental errors. And it feels like a lot of times on defense, uh, a lot of the mistakes is two guys either going after and just not knowing what to do on pick and roll coverages where either two guys will go after the same guy, leaving someone wide open or um, the opposite. And it's just this this team, like you described, the men, the team you don't want to play is you don't want to play the Warriors and you don't want to play the team that plays 48 minutes. Um, for the past four seasons, and at least under Brad Stevens, the Celtics have had that identity of the team who will hustle everything yep. uh, and just like – be in games they have no business being in just by um, just by working harder than everyone. And so, like, I know there was a lot of roster turnover um, la- before last season, but that last year's team, I would say, still had that. That's, like, why they went on that 17-game winning streak, um, because they they basically put themselves in, uh, in situations where they could uh, make some ridiculous plays and win. Uh, like, does the addition of Gordon Hayward and just, like, all that expectations, and I guess you could argue – another year of hype for Tatum and uh, Tatum and Brown just like completely have like that, the effort or that like, um, does that go away? I don't know. That's the thing that's frustrating is you would think after Brad calls them out after the Knicks loss, um, that would be enough of like a, a heads up, like a, we need to do something different. Um, and that's the thing that's just is the most frustrating is, um, at this point, whatever season expectations that the the media had or that they had of themselves, you would imagine going ten and ten to start the season will have woken them up, and they don't need another shitty loss just to to get them going. So, I don't know. The that's the 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 negative side. On the other side, they I mean, they're ten and ten. They've had some bad losses, but they have won half their games. They've beaten the Raptors. They've beaten the Sixers. They've beaten the Bucks. If you look at past seasons in which they've won over 50 games, they're, I think they're about two games back of that pace. I think, like, I do think it's fixable because, like you mentioned, it's, it's a lot of mental things and there are pockets of each game where I think they're playing well, but they have yet to put together, like, a full 48 minutes of dominance against it. Look, the Mavericks are better than I think everyone thought they were, mostly because, uh, this Luka Doncic fellow is quite good. He's very good. Uh, we can talk a little bit more about him later, but, um, you should – I think Vegas actually, they were the underdogs in that game, and that's kind of where the Celtics' expectations have left. But they should win uh, a game against the Mavericks no matter where it's played. Uh, they just have way too much talent. I know Gordon Hayward is out, but he was all out all of last year. Like they have no business losing losing a game like this. It's just – it's frustrating at this point. I don't – like a lot of people are angry at Brad's rotations and like certain players. I don't – like I, I don't think it's Brad's rotations at this point. I just think it's like – on each individual player and then them as a team to not be shitty. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah, that's like, that's the best analysis I can give, but like they, they have to one, they have to win 50, 50 balls. They have to be more competitive with that. And then just not let, you can't let JJ Breyer to the rim untouched. That's just, you can't give up easy baskets like that. It's so impossible to win in this league. Um, when you're just giving up easy baskets, to the other team. So I don't, that's my solution is don't be <laughs> shitty. Don't be shitty. Yeah. Well, look, there, a lot here. First, a note on the pick and roll. 
the Celtics pick and roll coverage has been terrible. They've they went from giving up alley oops all over the place and and they kind of took away I thought that DeAndre Jordan was going to get a ton of alley oops. He only had a couple. They were pretty nice, but they only got a couple. Uh the bigger problem they they kind of fixed that thing and the reverse thing happened. Now now the guards are getting all over the place. So well they they fixed the pick and roll thing, but they do that by having the weak side guy kind of tag the roller, but that leaves Harrison Barnes in the corner to go five for seven. Right. And Doncic did a great job. And then Breyer after him, they did a really good job of finding the guy in the opposite corner. Um, but it's like you either you, you either you sag in and guard for the alley oop or you stay on the guy the guy in the corner. And no matter what the Celtics are doing, they're getting beat. They're getting beat. So the pick and roll coverage has been terrible. Uh, again, I, I think the, these guys, their focus is just in a different place this year than last year. This year, guys are focused more on themselves. That Terry Rozier got this shoe deal with Puma. And he got the whole scary Terry thing, which, by the way, people are getting sued over because they never got a, the uh, permission to use the scream mask. So that that's a whole debacle. The uh, I, I think Tatum and Brown, to some degree, are, are focused on the the hype that they were getting. Other guys in this team may be focused on the hype that they were getting, and that's taken away from the focus of I've got to do X Y Z to be to to make this team the best it can be. And the the most infuriating thing is if they focus on the stuff that's not individual stuff, the individual stuff will come. They if they focus on the things they need to do to make the team win, then everybody will everybody eats. Uh, the the whole team gets more recognition, uh, more shine when when they do those things. Uh, Doncic, we can talk about. Uh, it's just he. Let's just do our full Doncic uh, gushing about Doncic right look, now. Look, this is yeah. I I get on. The, the rookies who are second or third year players who, who missed the whole season. This is a very complicated thing about this rookies and NBA rookies never played NBA basketball before, but the guy's been a professional for years over in Europe and some of the best leaves over there. I was going to tweet at you during the game. Does he count as a rookie or not since he's been playing professionally since he was 12? Right. It's, and, and that's, that's a very complicated gray area. He is an NBA rookie, but He's he's clearly not a rookie. Like you look at him play, he's clearly not a rookie. That pass his, out of a double team, his vision and his patience is is absurd. He got trapped on the right block in a double team, and he found an open shooter on the opposite corner. That's that's just an impossible thing to see for so many players in the NBA. So that's he's just he's just damn good and that's the end of my gushing he's just damn good and he needs to lose that shirt under his jersey though it's really hard to look cool with a shirt under your jersey i I don't like that look either um at least cut the sleeves off of it or something but uh yeah i if i was an atlanta hawks fan man i'd be pissed watching Doncic play i'd be pissed a couple of it was kind of nice to get the the tour of both uh and Trey. uh Yes, Trey Young. That's his name. I completely blanked on his name. Yeah, but that Trey Trey Young is the guy who plays for the Hawks. Uh, one more thing we we got to talk about Al Horford in this in this game. He he was better. He, he hit a few threes, and I thought, okay, this is going to be great. But defensively, he had that miscommunication with Rozier that I saw. Uh, a lot of times he made a, a, like a good play, and then he just turned it over with a horrible pass. So uh, this is part of I don't know if it's Al Horford's knee that's that's limiting him. If it is, then he should just sit. Uh, and 
if it's not, then I don't know if he's just kind of coasting. Remember last season, he the regular season, he was he was good, but you know people were like, oh, whatever, average Al. And but then in the playoffs, he turned it on. So I I do think that there's some level of Al Horford's not going to go balls out because he is getting older. Uh, I don't think that he's necessarily lost the step, but I, I do think that he's kind of holding back and he's not going to give us the full Al Horford until the playoffs roll around. The problem now is that we're, we kind of start needing a little bit more Al Horford. And I, I think he might, might be uh might be great time for him to turn it on. Look, this, this Pelicans game be a great time for him to turn it on. They play Monday. Then they have three days off. They have a back-to-back. Then they have four days off after that. So this would be a great st- stretch for him to kind of show up a little bit. Yeah, no, he's, and the things that's confusing with him is that he, his block numbers are way up this year. Um, but on defensive end, it feels like he's, uh, been victim. Um, a lot of times when guys are going off, they're, they're kind of picking it like they do a lot of switching. And so they'll get a, a guard on Horford. And when they attack all, all the way to the rim, it feels like he does a good job of stopping them. But any, any type of like pull up game, it feels like he's not able to, to step out on them. And that's where I think, uh, Kemba made a lot of shots. I, I think Berea hit a couple. Um, and so I don't know if he if it's the knee. I don't know if he's if he's a little bit older, but uh, he's not been uh, the best defensive player in the league this year, uh, as I've argued in past. I think still think he's been quite good, and you can see that um, with his block numbers and his just his knowledge. You just look at like defensive plus minus. He's still um, one of the better Celtics on the team, um, but he's just that wasn't great. And the thing that was most painful, I think, about the uh, the the Mavericks game. His offense, just he got a number of opportunities in the post, and none of them were used to him seeing him knock down some of those like fadeaway jumpers. That, but against DeAndre Jordan, against anyone with like any size, he just didn't look good, and that's why he ended the game with like three of eleven. He was two of five from deep, but so that's maybe made one two point field goal. The rest were just bad misses, and I liked I liked the idea of him getting the ball more in the post and. We saw Marcus Smart with a nice cut, like when he's in the post, which is normally what you should do because he's a, such a good passer out of the post. But for him to be dangerous, he actually has to be a, a dangerous two-point scorer, and he just hasn't had it um, that much this year. He's still knocking down mid-ranges, but he's not really creating any offense out of the post. And I don't know if it's that's his knees bothering him. He does. He's like a year older, but it hasn't been uh, the best Al Horford this year, and that's why he has so much value when he plays great. Like the team is that much better. And so I definitely think he needs to, to perform well. And you're right with so many days off after the Pelicans game, like he's going to need to go balls to the wall, just to one, just to contain uh, Anthony Davis because Anthony Davis is insane. If Anthony um, Davis but plays, it's, by the way, he's listed as questionable. That's a big if because, um, well, knowing this Celtics team, Anthony Davis wouldn't play and then they'll lose anyways. <laughs> I, I want to say that like, the Celtics have, kind of gone through the season with the best defensive uh, rating, but the best defensive rating this year is, I mean, not what it was in the past. Like teams had defensive ratings in the nineties uh, to, to lead the league in, in past years. And this year they're at one Oh three point nine, which is, you know, points per 100 possessions. Um, and that's, that's good for second right now in the NBA. I, I, I got to dig deeper on this. I've been, I've been talking about this a while and I really think it's true because we've seen Terry Rozier, his defense has slipped. Marcus Smart's defense has slipped. Look, against, against Berea, 
Barea's 68% of his possessions came against Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier. He shot four of seven against Rozier, three of six against Marcus Smart. So neither of those guys are, are really our best perimeter defender. Marcus Smart couldn't stop J.J. Barea. Terry Rozier is supposed to be a good defender. He couldn't stop J.J. Barea. According to the statistics, Terry Rozier is like a top five uh, defender in terms of defensive rating. So I think... Defense is down across the board in the NBA. And the freedom of movement rules have changed the game. The NBA is going through a defensive evolution right now with these rules and and this emphasis. So a lot of things that great defenders used to be able to do, they can't do them anymore. A lot of these fouls are are touch fouls or you, you can call them whatever. Guys in the perimeter are having significant, across the board, significant problem defending. And that means a lot more dribble penetration. Or they switch and they hunt out mismatches. So you either, you either have dribble penetration where guys overreact and that leads to the alley-oops. Or you get the switch and hunting mismatches and that's how you get Al Horford switched onto these guards. And these guards, look, Al Horford is great to switch onto the on guards and, and he can hang with them from time to time. That's the part of his defensive brilliance, but over and over and over again to ask a center to guard a scoring guard on switches, there's only so much he can do. That's that's a flaw in in all of this switching defense. You get mismatches, either that mismatch or guards being hunted out and posted up like LeBron did against Terry Rozier last year in the conference finals. I think the freedom of movement emphasis, and I have to dig, I have to talk to these guys about it more. I think that's having a big problem. I think that's leading to a bunch of the problems here that uh, the Celtics are, are facing when they when they have these breakdowns. And I, I think that's part of the mental thing, too, that they're frustrated. They're frustrated with themselves. They're frustrated that they can't do the things that they used to do. So all of it is is a problem for the Celtics, and, and it's it's really cascading. Which and, and that's just that's not an excuse. They, they have to adjust to this. Brad Stevens and the coaching staff have to adjust to this. The guys out on the floor have to adjust to this. They have to figure things out. So that's that's a that's something that just needs to happen. All right, let's take a quick break here. We'll come back with more on this and the Atlanta game. There's not much to say with the Atlanta game, so we'll we'll wrap everything up in the second segment with this. Before we do that, let me just say that for you as a company, if you own a company and you're looking for a way to reach new customers, advertising right here, right now on this podcast, I could be reading your advertisement right here. Podcast listeners are 60% more likely to interact with their sponsors on podcasts that they hear on podcasts. And they are generally uh, more educated and have higher earning potential than traditional media audiences. So people are more likely to interact with your company. They have money to spend and they are more educated. Our demographic has to be happens to be 98% men. So if you want men in that group, go ahead and reach out to us, LockedOnCeltics at gmail.com, LockedOnCeltics at gmail.com to have your company sponsor this podcast. NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. 
The Tennessee Titans have announced a one-year deal with linebacker Jadavion Clowney, reportedly worth $15 million. Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans tells you if it's going to be enough to get Tennessee back to the AFC title game. In other moves around the league, the Miami Dolphins named Ryan Fitzpatrick starting quarterback, which means Tua will be back up for the time being. And the Detroit Lions have agreed to a one-year deal with running back Adrian Peterson. Peterson was released by the Washington football team last Friday. For more NFL news and analysis, subscribe to the new Peacock and Williamson NFL show and listen to a brand new lineup on Locked On NFL. They'll have division previews every day this week. Local experts on the biggest stories. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're up to date on your favorite team, but what about the competition? Hollinger and Nate Duncan are evaluating every bubble contender on Hollinger and Duncan. Rejecting the screen goes behind the scenes with in-depth interviews and the Locked On NBA podcast is recapping games daily. Let the Locked On NBA network of podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan, rejecting the screen, the Locked On NBA podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet wherever you get your podcasts. I want to wrap uh, wrap Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum into this. We haven't talked to them uh, about them much, and that kind of includes the Atlanta game. Uh, but in the Dallas game, I thought Jalen Brown was pretty good offensively. Uh, I, I think the formula for him is if he hits some early shots, he really gets better throughout the game. And the one thing he needs to be fed in transition. So like he needs to attack on a rebound. That's what he did best in Dallas game, which is like getting the rim immediately. That and the thing about the drives in Dallas, they were smarter than the drives he's had in the past. And I broke this down on Boston.com. There was a piece I did going uh, published Saturday morning called "What's Wrong with Jalen Brown?" And I have examples of him driving, and a lot of times he just puts his head down and drives into the middle of the lane. And jumps and is surrounded by three guys. The the thing that he did better in Dallas is that he kind of changed the pace a little bit. And he got himself a little bit more free. It took different angles to get to the rim. So when he's not doing things well, he just is basically saying, I'm super athletic, so I'm going to run in a straight line at the same speed and just try to go over people. But when you do that, it's like that fastball that goes no movement in baseball. When they talk about a pitcher throws 100 miles an hour, but if he's got no movement on the ball, you can time it and you can hit it out of the park. For Jalen Brown, for an effective driver, a lot of people who drive, they're not the fastest people in the world. They, The most effective guys are the guys who can change speeds, start slow, speed up, change directions, keep the defense from timing what you're trying to do. And then this way you can be in the air and using your athleticism, Jalen Brown and, and making the plays before the defense can react. He did that much better in Dallas. And that's why he was able to score a lot more in transition. He hasn't been doing it very well all season long, which is why his numbers at the rim have generally not been great. Uh, He's not the best finisher and he has not been able to figure out how to pass effectively out of his drives. So the Dallas game, I think was a nice improvement for him. No, he's definitely a lot um, better in that Dallas game. I think it, it's he got um, got moving to the rim and got a lot of momentum going to the rim. Um, I think starting in transition, and then he actually Tatum got him for a nice find uh, where he's like caught the ball on the move. Um, 
he was seven of nine from that Dallas game, did not attempt a three. Like that's what you kind of want to see is all his points um, going to the rim. I know he is a, he is a, I guess not this year, but he's historically been a decent three point shooter, but um, all of his action going to the rim was good for Jalen Brown. Then he took that big fall. Um, he will not be playing against the Pelicans, so, but I don't imagine it'll be a, a long-term thing, but I thought he was, I, 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 there's a reason he's no longer the, the scapegoat of Twitter. I think he's been playing a little bit, um, better recently. Um, and I think you mentioned Tatum earlier. Tatum had a great game in terms of, uh, efficiency, um, nine to 14 for 21 points. I think since he got benched in the Knicks game, I know it's been a not huge amount of uh, time since then, but he seems to be more of a, more of a point of emphasis of either I'm going to shoot a three or I'm going to attack to the rim. He still takes some mid-range shots at the end of the shot clock and um, some other situations, some like coming out of coming off picks. But if it's just a catch and shoot mid-range uh, or if it's end of shot clock, I have no like he's Jason Tatum. He's pretty good. He's still going to make him. So I have less of a a problem with that. The thing I wanted to to bring up, and I guess um, this is actually something Danger Card brought up on Twitter. Uh, we saw in the game against the Mavericks, Kyrie Irving. Uh, only scored 19 points, was 0 of 5 from deep. Um, but the team really struggled to score d- uh, down the stretch, and it felt like they basically were just giving the ball to Kyrie and waiting for him to to do something. And I think is in the question Danger Card brings up is like, is this what happens when you have a Kyrie Irving led team? Uh, are you basically just relying on Kyrie to to carry you each game and to be your fourth quarter scorer? And then on nights when he's not cooking, are you screwed as an offense? Because all the all the um, movement rules and the fouling and the freedom of movement things that makes the so de- uh, defense so difficult for the Celtics, that should make their offense a lot easier to score. But they're still really struggling to score, and they really haven't won a game um, where Kyrie hasn't been able to like uh, go off or a close game. Uh, where Kyrie's not the main scorer in the fourth quarter. So is this just are they doomed to basically be entirely reliant on Kyrie fourth quarter scoring? I don't think that they're doomed to that. I think that this this season right now, Kyrie has had to be that uh, because of the offense has been basically so terrible. Um, which like the end of the Dallas game, I, I think that's a very fair point. It was not exactly the best. Uh, performance all the way around. Even like if you go back to the the Raptors game where Kyrie was just awesome, they weren't even the same types of shots that he was he was taking. He was really really forcing the the shots against Dallas. I think if this team can get back to its uh, ball movement and and tr- like we've said a million times, trusting the ball movement. If that happens throughout the course of the game and they're they're really executing a solid offense where the touches are spread around and guys are driving and getting into the paint and attacking or driving and kicking, if that's how the offense is going, then I think at the end it's going to be much more likely that Kyrie is going to start at least trusting that the Celtics, if they if he gives it up, a good shot will come. Uh, I think the way this offense is going and has gone that even though it's, it's gotten a little bit better, a little bit from time to time, I don't think Kyrie Irving trusts the offense to get any shot. That's better than what he can get. I'm sure. And I I didn't hear what he had to say or much of what he had to say post game. Um, 
I'm sure if he looks at that film, he'll say, okay, I should have, I should have given it up. Even if it means giving up to get it back. Like that's, that's part of the evolution of Kyrie leading a team. So this is an evolution. Like Kyrie leading a team, this, this is still kind of new to him. The last time he did it, he was much, much younger. I think he, he is also learning how to do this. I don't know if he's, maybe they are doomed. Maybe they are. I, I can't sit there and say they're not going to be. Uh, I think that there is a possibility that he may never trust. And if he becomes one of those guys that says, uh, I always think my shot is going to go in and I always think my ch- my chances are going to be better than your chances, then that's going to be a problem. The whole, the whole point of this offense is to trust that getting it to, to Al Horford, which they did, and he missed down the stretch, um, is going to result in good shots. And getting it to Tatum is going to result in good shots. And Brown's going to do the right thing with the ball. Whoever else on the floor, Mook, are going to do the right things with the ball. If everybody just trusts that the right thing is going to happen, then they'll break out of this little slump. So for now, I'm, I, I am giving a lot of benefit of the doubt to Kyrie, at least down the stretch, because he's been so good anyway. Uh, but I hope that as the Celtics offense evolves and it becomes more free flowing and fluid, that this will happen less. Yeah, and it makes sense because the only thing that's really worked for them is like they've had some quarters where the ball is moving, but and they like just been able to generate easy points, but. The the thing that's like a, a been the a go to is is Kyrie isolation scoring. So it's when it's crunch time when you need a bucket, it's so much easier to go to Kyrie rather than kind of having faith in the the uh, like the ideal system. I don't. I mean, I'm less doom or gloom than I think um, uh, agitated danger card is who gets really frustrated um, when they're playing poorly. On, um, he, but I think that just evidence of last year, they were still a very solid team. And Kyrie was playing in the majority of those games as well as the 17-game the win streak. I don't think it's a, a major system flaw um, with the Kyrie-based team. I think we've seen his assist numbers actually, uh, I think, were better over the past couple of games. He's pretty good, done a decent job of facilitating. I don't think it's a, a doom, doom or gloom scenario. I, I still hold out hope as a sports optimist that the Celtics will, uh, will turn this thing around. But I don't know. It's getting, it's getting harder and harder to keep making that argument when they – Okay. Freaking lose to the Knicks and the Mavericks. <laughs> well, they didn't lose to the Hawks. We promised we'd say something about the Hawks game. Not that time, that Lord. Say. That was that was fun. That was fun. Uh, he definitely, I think, leads the leads the league in dunks per minute. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna go the entire season having only dunks, and it's gonna rock out loud. <laughs> that was fun. Um, Trey Young being horrible defensively, allowing the Celtics to get 45 points in the first quarter and Kyrie to go completely nuts was, was fun. Not for a Hawks fan who then had to what watch. Hawks fans. <laughs> There's no Hawks fans. Uh, and then the other thing, uh, I, I think really the biggest positive out of this game, because look, the, the Celtics scored 45 points in the first quarter and then Atlanta outscored them by four the rest of the way. Some of that you can dismiss as when you have a lead like that, you naturally take the your, your foot off the, the gas a little bit. So I, if this team was 18 and two, I would look at that game and be like, I would dismiss some of those things. Uh, but anyway, uh, the, the looking at the positive Gordon Hayward looked, got like he got his athleticism back a little bit in that game. His, his athleticism has come and gone. Uh, it's, it's, I, I 
think that I think I said this before uh, that second the second surgery that he had on his his knee his uh, ankle I'm sorry uh, really set him back further than than we think I mean just I'm hearing other people talk about this on other podcasts and, and people who kind of know a little bit more inside they're they're saying that it seems like that second surgery was much more of a setback than than we realized. So it's nice. It was nice to see him in that Atlanta game. They they ran a set play to get him a backdoor cut for an easy dunk. And um, if if nothing else, any game where Al, uh, Gordon Hayward looks athletic is is a big positive for me. Yeah, he looked. He continues to look good. I think he would have been um, helpful in that Dallas game. Um, he's yeah. I always fun to see anyone dunking, whether it's him <laughs> or the Titan Lord. Dunks are fun. Dunks are great. Dunks are fun. Okay. Uh, up next, the New Orleans Pelicans, Monday night. So we are going to take a short break and come back with Jake Madison, host of the Lockdown Pelicans podcast, to talk about that game. Before we do that, remember the Lockdown Podcast Network is doing unprecedented things on Twitter and Instagram. Follow at Lockdown NBA Net on both on Instagram, you get little snippets, little samples of other podcasts. So you can kind of listen and see what other podcasts you might want to listen to, as well as the Locked On NBA podcast, which I host on Wednesdays with Jake Madison. So check them out on Instagram and on Twitter. It's a curated feed of all of the Locked On podcast hosts, all of their great stuff, none of the ancillary little crap that I tend to tweet. So Locked On NBA Net on Twitter and on Instagram. Check it out. Monday night in New Orleans is the story of a 10 and 10 team that's struggling after some bad recent losses. And that can apply to either team in this game. So to talk about this is my Wednesday co-host with the Lockdown NBA podcast and host of the Lockdown Pelicans podcast, my buddy, Jake Madison. How's it going, Jake? I'm doing well. Happy post Thanksgiving. Excited to kind of get back to like real NBA action. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. So, Let's start with the injury report. Anthony Davis, listen, is questionable. Uh, what do you know? What do you think? Uh, I know he missed the last game against Washington. Uh, what, what's your sense on whether he'll be ready for the Celtics game? You know, I, I, we don't know anything just yet. I think it'll be closer to, say, a game-time decision. I kind of expect he'll play after sitting out against Washington, particularly where, you know, he wasn't too effective against the Knicks on that first night of the back-to-back after coming back into the game with that injury. I think he kind of wants to get back on track, prove he's kind of the player that he is, and help this team kind of snap this three-game losing streak. And he kind of just shows up to big games at times a little bit more so. So I think we'll see him in, but again, I think it's going to come kind of right down to it. They'll probably say they're going to test him out more up, see how he feels, and then we'll know. So tell our Celtics fans about the, the Pelicans, because uh, I'm sure you, not everybody here listening has had a chance to pay attention. Uh, I know right now that they are 10 and 10, just like the Celtics. Uh, just like the Celtics, they're struggling after some tough losses to the was the the Knicks. Uh, so we have that in common. Uh, you lost to Philly, you lost to Washington, which is tough. So what, what's, what's going on here? We know our old friend, Etwan Moore is doing well. 
Yeah, was, he's been a huge bright spot for the Pelicans this season. That's kind of besides the point to to what's going on here, though. I, so I think these two teams have a lot in common, to be honest. I think it's kind of inconsistent effort from both of these squads. I've seen that in the Celtics when I watch them, and it's very evident with the Pelicans. Sometimes they come out and you're like, oh, God, this team is really good and might be able to compete for, say, the four seed or maybe even the three seed if they're all healthy in the Western Conference. And then you come out flat against the Knicks and let the Knicks go on like a 13-4 to run over like a two minute period and you're like oh yeah no they're not there yet because they just don't kind of live up to to what they are and I think what you're going to end up seeing with this team is at the end of the year you're going to look at their record and go they're better than that which is not necessarily a good thing so I think that's kind of what you see we all know the offense with this team they kind of light it up they want to play fast in transition get Anthony Davis the ball score quickly kind of do their damage that way and then defensively they've really struggled teams have been able to run against them the transition defense has been pretty bad you know they they're trying to go and be a better rebounding team to kind of limit that a little bit but even in minimal chances you see teams really running on them and I don't know if it's just this team adding some new bodies into it like Alfred Payton who's out injured or a guy like Julius Randle coming off the bench that they're just kind of not sure of how to play with one another you see a lot of confusion on defense a lot of ball movement really gets to them and it's kind of just summed up where they are you know really offensively and defensively there's a lot of talent here this is probably the most talented squad that Anthony Davis has been a part of just yet but they're not kind of living up to what they have and haven't been able to take kind of all of these pieces that they have and really put them in the right way for them to succeed and be a very good team. It's so funny, man. It sounds you talk about this Pelicans team the same way we talk about the Celtics. Inconsistent effort, defensive miscommunications, lots of talent, but it's just not working right right now. Uh, I know that the Pelicans turn the ball over a bunch, and so the Celtics with with their defense, which has been good. Not as good as it should be, but good. Uh, we'll get opportunities to get out and run. But we also, the Celtics, have this knack for letting guards go nuts uh, against us. So it's la- last time against Dallas, it was Berea. I'm afraid that this time, like Drew Holiday is going to have, what, what's his career high? I'm sure he's going to threaten his career high in this game. He's been very good this year. This is a guy who's averaging 20 points and 9.2 assists per game, along with being maybe the best, one of the best two-way guards in the league. Defensively, he can lock people down. Expect to see him kind of matched up with Kyrie, but that can kind of hurt him on the offensive end when he's expending that much energy on the defensive side of the ball. And if you kind of look at like the list of guys he's just shut down this year, it's it's very impressive. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he went through a stretch where it was like Devin Booker and those guys that he was completely holding well, well, well below their season averages. But on the flip side of it he doesn't have the best offensive game because of that that's why I think they really need to have a guy like Anthony Davis in there to kind of take that scoring load off of him a little bit or have a guy like Julius Randle do his damage off of the bench he's been pretty great for the Pelicans this year or heck each one more who's having a career year he had back-to-back 30-point games in this one maybe he's the guy that uh, the guard that's going to be in line for a big game Oh, man. I always I can't watch a Pelicans game without thinking, hey, you know, I'm glad Etuan Moore worked out because they, they ended up having to get rid of him. And uh, I always thought he had potential. So uh, but Julius Randle, you mentioned him. He has been he's been really, really good for, for you guys this year. In this last game against the uh, Wizards, he had a monster 29.15 rebounds, seven assists game. Uh, what what's what works with him so well here in New Orleans? 
Yeah, I, I think part of it is kind of really accepting his role coming off of the bench. You kind of get him matched up against some second units a lot of the time. And, I mean, he can just kind of feast on those. And that's where he's done an absolute ton of damage. You know, he's improved his shot selection a little bit. He can run and kind of play in that faster-paced New Orleans system that they want to run with Alvin Gentry as the head coach here. His passing has been pretty excellent so far this year. He's averaging three assists per game. And he's kind of been verging towards, like, DeMarcus Cousins' four or five assists per game territory i think at times and they run a little bit of point forward with him which kind of allows him to just do what he does best which is kind of cause havoc and get to the rim and when that's not there he's a good enough passer to kind of get out of it he's been a beast though on the offensive glass this year he has grabbed just some clutch offensive rebounds he gets easy tip-ins and putbacks because of that i think that's one of the areas where new orleans has a big advantage over a lot of teams this year that they've really focused on becoming a good offensive rebounding team when you have guys like mirror Anthony Davis and Julius Randle, along with a pretty decent rebounder in Alfred Payton when he's healthy. Drew Holiday has uh, some potential with it that gets them a lot of easy points. And when their offense struggles, you'll see them kind of leaning towards that. And Julius Randle's the biggest catalyst when it comes to it. Yeah, I expect to see a bunch of Shemi Ojale trying to slow Randle down with his size and his his muscle. Uh, and I, I think the way the way the Celtics are built, if if Davis plays and Randall comes off the bench, then I think Ojale is going to be the guy that's being asked to to guard him uh, a lot. So we'll see how that matchup goes. It seems like there are uh, there's like a divide with the the Pelicans. There's a few guys that score and then a bunch of guys who don't. Uh, is there any concern that you guys go through? Do you guys go through like big scoring droughts, or is it pretty balanced throughout the game? How how the rotations work? Yeah, no, that's that's a big problem. You you you've seen it a lot this year if you've really watched this team, and it, things are good when the starters are in. You know, Anthony Davis, Drew Holiday, Moore, Mirtich, those guys are going to get you points. It's when the second unit starts to really come in that you're just like, what? Some of the lineups you see have just been absolutely terrible. Like Solomon Hill's completely fallen out of the rotation, and this is a guy who's making twelve and a half million a year because he just can't score the ball whatsoever. And this really comes down to the Pelicans not having a good backup point guard at this point. With Alfred Payton out, it's kind of thrust and Drew into that 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 creator role and he works better kind of just playing almost like an instinctual level player trying to score and just do what he does best that way there's no one else there that can kind of set up others and create for others you have ian clark coming in off the bench he's been largely ineffective in that role this year he's better as a spot-up shooter or a guy who just wants to kind of drive and attack not a passer that's been a problem they signed tim frazier about 11 games or so ago you know we were hopeful and maybe this tells you how bad the backup point guard situation for the public is that Tim Frazier was the answer can tell you he was not he was not the answer he's basically fallen out of the rotation so this second unit just doesn't have anyone else that can kind of set other guys up other than Julius Randle when he's playing that point forward role but he gets a lot of burn with Anthony Davis in the starter so it's when those subs start to come in it, it just looks ugly at times and so that's kind of the thing They're, they don't match up well with real deep teams currently well, I mean, the Celtics are allegedly a deep team. We'll see how that works out. Uh, like I said, there's there's always one guy. There's always one guy that burns the Celtics. And you know, I, I like your call. I, I think Etwan Moore might actually, because often it's it's the random guy too. Like Anthony Davis going off, that'll be anybody. He'll do that against everybody. But I can see somebody losing Etwan Moore and having Etwan Moore go off for thirty, which would be just. Uh, kicking the balls for Does that count as a revenge game. Um, <laughs> I, 
I got to look up his numbers against the Celtics if he's gotten a bunch of revenge against us. Uh, I don't know, man, but I, I'm sure I'm sure there'll be some of it. He seems to have found a home down there. I'm always happy when he does well. Like he's just he's he's a guy who's a second round pick, and just when those guys stick and have a good long career, like this is he's officially having a long career. How many years has he been in the league now? Eight. Oh yeah, no, he's been around for a while. Like he's been good. Like there's no denying that at this point. And he's having a career year. He's kind of found the role that fits him. He was the 55th overall pick, by the way. And it's like, yeah, he's been in the league for eight years, and he's just played really well. Like a solid guy who's not making too much money. That always means you can't hate him then, or at least makes you like him more when they're not overpaid, I guess. And like, right. I, I don't know. We've got we've watched him this year in New Orleans. It's it, look, his game like doesn't fit the modern NBA. He doesn't really get to the rim he doesn't he's a good three-point shooter but it's not like a high volume of dude taking like eight or nine threes per game it's curls and off ball movement like watch this guy's mid-range jumper coming off a pin down or something like that and the pelicans run that because teams will leave that wide open but sometimes if that's the only open shot you've got that's the one you've got to take and i know it kind of goes against analytics like that but he's good at it and he's it's working and you can see the numbers kind of speak for themselves so we'll watch out for Etwan Moore torching the Celtics. How, quickly, how how do you think this would go? How, what, what do you expect to see? Man, I so it just depends. Does New Orleans kind of shake off uh, the the three game funk that they've been in right now? And does Anthony Davis come back in and need to remind everyone that he's I think it's quote the most dominant player in the league end quote? And if he does that, like I feel pretty good they you know they had that stretch last season where i think they had the the celtics it was like something like five games and six nights or seven nights whatever it was because of a rain delayed game and everything and they played really well and i think you know you might be able to see it. this team has played against the top competition pretty good this year i think it'll at least be close i just not sure which way it's going to go necessarily yeah they see they come out big they they beat the raptors in toronto they um they do come out against teams that are marquee teams. And as, as the Celtics are struggling, but they are still a marquee team. So I'm sure we'll take, as usual, the other team's best shot this time in New Orleans. And look, I hope Anthony Davis is healthy, but I hope it takes one more game off. That'd be nice. No, no, no. We don't need that. We, no. we, we can throw him back in. Look, he's got to show off what look, you man, guys are going to be trying to trade <laughs> for next year. I hope future Celtic Anthony Davis takes, the, takes it easy because we, we need him <laughs> healthy. <laughs> no, let's uh we'll see. Who knows? It's going to get interesting now though. But like look, they need him to have a big game in order to win. If he does it, they'll be in contention. If he doesn't, it's going to be really tough. All right, we'll see how that goes. That's the Monday night game. This is the Monday night show. Thanks as ever, as always everybody for listening. If you're a new listener, really appreciate you joining the podcast. If you are a regular listener and you haven't given us that five-star rating or good review, it really helps us out. And as always, when somebody asks you what podcast they should be listening to, tell them Lockdown Celtics here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Hi, guys. This is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.